0: My name is Dr. Michael Nowak, and today I'll be reading part two of cardiology textbook excerpts on the approach to cardiac disease diagnosis, mixed with a few commentaries and explanations. Let's begin. Physical findings. Letter A, physical examination. There will be five specific physical examinations that we talk about. The physical examination is less important than the history in patients with ischemic heart disease, but it is of critical value in patients with congenital and valvular heart disease. In the latter two categories, the physician, PA, and NP can often make specific anatomic and etiologic diagnoses based on physical examination. Certain abnormal murmurs and heart sounds are specific for structural abnormalities of the heart. The physical examination is also important for confirming the diagnosis and establishing the severity of heart failure. And it is the only way to diagnose systemic hypertension because this diagnosis is based on elevated blood pressure recordings. Physical examination number one, blood pressure. Proper measurement of the systemic arterial pressure by cuff sphygmomanometry is one of the keystones of the cardiovascular physical examination. It is recommended that the brachial artery be palpated and the diaphragm of the stethoscope be placed over it, rather than merely sticking the stethoscope in the antecubital fossa. Current methodologic standards dictate that the onset and disappearance of the Korotkoff sounds define the systolic and diastolic pressures, respectively. Although this is the best approach in most cases, there are exceptions. For example, in patients in whom the diastolic blood pressure drops to near zero, the point of muffling of the sounds is usually recorded as the diastolic pressure. Because the diagnosis of systemic hypertension involves repeated measures under the same conditions, The operator should measure blood pressure under the same standard conditions each time. It is recommended that the patient be seated with their arms supported at heart level for five minutes before the pressure is measured. Orthostatic changes in blood pressure are a very important physical finding, especially in patients complaining of transient central nervous system symptoms, weakness, or unstable gait. The technique involves having the patient assume the upright position for at least 90 seconds before taking the pressure to be sure that the maximum orthostatic effect is measured. Although measuring the pressure in other extremities may be of value in certain vascular diseases, it provides little information in a routine examination beyond palpating pulses in all the extremities. Keep in mind, in general, that the pulse pressure, the difference between the systolic and diastolic blood pressures, and parentheses, is a crude measure of left ventricular stroke volume. A wide pulse pressure suggests that the stroke volume is large. A narrowed pressure suggests that the stroke volume is small. Side note. Karotkov sounds are sounds uh, that were discovered by Dr. Nikolai Karatkov a russian physician who in the early 1900s um, did some studies and was able to figure this out they are a very important on a daily basis to help determine our blood pressures using a non-invasive procedure the first karatkov sound is the very first appearance of a faint repetitive clear tapping sound which gradually increases in intensity for at least two consecutive beats and that's what's considered the systolic blood pressure and the last phase or the point at which all sounds finally disappear is what's going to be defined as the diastolic pressure physical examination number two peripheral pulses when examining the peripheral pulses the physician, PA, and NP, is really conducting three examinations. The first is an examination of the cardiac rate and rhythm. The second is an assessment of the characteristics of the pulse as a reflection of cardiac activity. And the third is an assessment of the adequacy of the arterial conduit being examined. The pulse rate and rhythm are usually determined in a convenient peripheral artery, such as the radial. If a pulse is irregular, it is better to auscultate the heart. Some cardiac contractions during rhythm disturbances do not generate a stroke volume sufficient to cause a palpable peripheral pulse. In many ways, the heart rate reflects the health of the circulatory system. A rapid pulse suggests increased catecholamine levels which may be due to cardiac disease, such as heart failure. A slow pulse represents an excess of vagal tone, which may be due to disease or athletic training. To assess the characteristics of the cardiac contraction through the pulse, it is usually best to select an artery close to the heart, such as the carotid. Bounding high amplitude carotid pulses suggest an increase in stroke volume and should be accompanied by a wide pulse pressure on the blood pressure measurement. A weak carotid pulse suggests a reduced stroke volume. Usually, the strength of the pulse is graded on a scale of one to four, where two is a normal pulse amplitude, three to four is a hyperdynamic pulse, and one is a weak pulse. A low amplitude, slow rising pulse which may be associated with a palpable vibration, also known as a thrill, suggests aortic stenosis. A bifid pulse, which is beating twice in systole, can be a sign of hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, severe aortic regurgitation, or the combination of moderately severe aortic stenosis and regurgitation. A diacrotic pulse, which is an exaggerated early diastolic wave, Is found in severe heart failure. Pulses alternans, which is alternate strong and weak pulses, is also a sign of severe heart failure. When evaluating the adequacy of the arterial conduits, all palpable pulses can be assessed and graded on a scale of 0 to 4, where 4 is a fully normal conduit, and anything below that is reduced, including 0 which indicates an absent pulse. The major pulses routinely palpated on physical examination are the radial, brachial, carotid, femoral, dorsalis pedis, and posterior tibial. In special situations, the abdominal aorta and the ulnar, subclavian, popliteal, axillary, temporal, and intercostal arteries are palpated. In assessing the abdominal aorta, it is important to make note of the width of the aorta because the increase suggests an abdominal aortic aneurysm. It is particularly important to palpate the abdominal aorta in older individuals because abdominal aortic aneurysms are more prevalent in those older than 70. An audible bruit is a clue to significant obstructive large arteries. During a routine examination, brewies are sought with the stethoscope head placed over the carotids, abdominal aorta, and femorals at the groin. Other arteries may be auscultated under special circumstances, such as suspected renal artery stenosis, also called a flank bruit. Physical examination number three, jugular venous pulse. Assessment of the jugular venous pulse can provide information about the central venous pressure and right heart function. Examination of the right internal jugular vein is ideal for assessing central venous pressure because it it is attached directly to the superior vena cava without intervening valves. The patient is positioned into the semi-upright position that permits visualization of the top of the right internal jugular venous blood column. The height of the column of blood vertically from the sternal angle is added to 5 centimeters of blood the presumed distance to the center of the right atrium from the sternal angle to obtain an estimate of central venous pressure in centimeters of blood. This can be converted to millimeters of mercury with the following formula. Millimeters of mercury equals centimeter blood times 0.736. Examining the characteristics of the right internal jugular pulse is valuable for assessing right heart function and rhythm disturbances. The normal jugular venous pulse has two distinct waves, the A wave and the V wave. The former coincides with atrial contraction and the latter with late ventricular systole. An absent A wave and an irregular pulse suggests atrial fibrillation. A large and early V-wave suggests tricuspid regurgitation. The dips after the A and V-waves are the X and Y descents. The former coincide with atrial relaxation and the latter with early ventricular filling. In tricuspid stenosis, the Y-descent is prolonged. Other applications of the jugular pulse examination are discussed in the chapters dealing with specific disorders. Physical examination number four, lungs. Evaluation of the lungs is an important part of the physical examination. Diseases of the lung can affect the heart, just as diseases of the heart can affect the lungs. The major finding of importance is rails at the pulmonary bases indicating alveolar fluid collection. Although this is a significant finding in patients with congestive heart failure, it is not always possible to distinguish rails caused by heart failure from those caused by pulmonary disease. The presence of pleural fluid, although useful in the diagnosis of heart failure, can be due to other causes. Heart failure most commonly causes a right pleural effusion. It can cause effusions on both sides, but is least likely to cause isolated left pleural effusion. The specific constellation of dullness at the left base with bronchial breath sounds suggests an increase in heart size from pericardial effusion, also called Eward sign, or another cause of cardiac enlargement. It is thought to be due to compression of the heart. Of a left lower lobe bronchus. When right heart failure develops or venous return is restricted from entering the heart, venous pressure in the abdomen increases, leading to hepatosplenomegaly and eventually ascites. None of these physical findings is specific for heart disease. They do, however, help establish the diagnosis. Heart failure also leads to generalized fluid retention, usually manifested as lower extremity edema or in severe heart failure, anisarca. Physical examination number five, cardiac auscultation. Heart sounds are caused by the acceleration and deceleration of blood and the subsequent vibration of cardiac structures during the phases of the cardiac cycle. To hear cardiac sounds, use a stethoscope with a bell and a taut diaphragm. Low frequency sounds are associated with ventricular filling and are heard best with the bell. Medium frequency sounds are associated with valve opening and closing. They are heard best with the diaphragm. Cardiac murmurs are due to turbulent blood flow and usually high to medium frequency and are heard best with the diaphragm. However, low-frequency atrioventricular valve inflow murmurs, such as that produced by mitral stenosis, are best heard with the bell. Auscultation should take place in areas that correspond to the location of the heart and grade vessels. Such placement will, of course, need to be modified for patients with unusual body habitus or an unusual cardiac position. When no cardiac sounds can be heard over the precordium, they can often be heard in either the subxiphoid area or the right supraclavicular area. Auscultation in various positions is recommended because low-frequency filling sounds are best heard with the patient in the left lateral decubitus position and high-frequency murmurs, such as those of aortic regurgitation, are best heard with the patient sitting. Cardiac auscultation letter A. Heart Sounds The first heart sound is coincident with mitral and tricuspid valve closure and has two components in up to 40% of normal individuals. There is little change in the intensity of this sound with respiration or position. The major determinant of the intensity of the first heart sound is the electrocardiographic or EKG PR interval, which determines the time delay between the atrial and ventricular contractions and thus the position of the mitral valve when ventricular systole begins. With a short PR interval, the mitral valve is widely open when systole begins and its closure increases the intensity of of the first sound, as compared to a long PR interval beat when the valve partially closes prior to the onset of ventricular systole. Certain disease states, such as mitral stenosis, also can increase the intensity of the first sound. The second heart sound is coincident with closure of the aortic and pulmonic valves. Normally this sound is single in expiration and split during inspiration. Permitting the aortic and pulmonic components to be distinguished, the inspiratory split is due to a delay in the occurrence of the pulmonic component because of a decrease in pulmonary vascular resistance, which prolongs pulmonary flow beyond the end of right ventricular systole. Variations in this normal splitting of the second heart sound are useful in determining certain disease states. For example, atrial defect. The second sound is usually split throughout the respiratory cycle because of the constant increase in pulmonary flow. In patients with left bundle branch block, a delay occurs in the aortic component of the second heart sound, which results in reversed respiratory splitting, single with inspiration, split with expiration. A third heart sound occurs during early rapid filling of the left ventricle. It can be produced by any condition that causes left ventricular volume overload or dilatation. Therefore, it can be heard in such disparate conditions as congestive heart failure and normal pregnancy. A fourth heart sound is due to a vigorous atrial contraction into a stiffened left ventricle and can be heard in left ventricular hypertrophy of any cause or in diseases that reduce compliance of the left ventricle, such as myocardial infarction. Although third and fourth heart sounds can occasionally occur in normal individuals, all other extra sounds are signs of cardiac disease. Early ejection sounds are due to abnormalities of the semilunar valves from restriction of their motion, thickening, or both, i.e., a bicuspid aortic valve. Pulmonic or aortic stenosis. A mid-systolic click is often due to mitral valve prolapse and is caused by sudden tensing in mid-systole of the redundant prolapsing segment of the mitral leaflet. The opening of a thickened atrioventricular valve leaflet, as in mitral stenosis, will cause a loud opening sound, also called a snap, in early diastole. A lower frequency, or more of a knock sound, at the time of rapid filling may be an indication of constrictive pericarditis. These early diastolic sounds must be distinguished from a third heart sound. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast, part two of the approach to cardiac disease diagnosis. My name is Dr. Michael Nowak, and please check out our other podcast by certified medical educators have a great day